So quick question for you. you guys enjoying the new hymnals? Oh, yeah, right. Big thumbs up a lot of places. They're like, wait, we got new hymnals? Hold on a second here. Yeah, so we got new hymnals. And to wit, um, the green hymnals, um, the extra ones that we have here that we're not going to be using anymore, are in a stack on a table out in the narthex. Um, and you are welcome to take those home with you. So I would suggest you grab one of these and take one home. Um, the only thing I ask is that if you should see a dedication in the front cover, uh, please put that one back, put it aside so we can make sure we get it to the family. We've gone through them, not found any, but you know we kind of miss things sometimes. So uh, take one of these green hymnals home with you or two. Um, there's plenty out there. There's about 200 out in there in that stack. So please help yourself to them. Um, they are for you. All right, there's your public service announcement. And now, grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So, I'm going to start with a history lesson here. The year was 1903, December 17th, location Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Two brothers, Orville and Wilbur, uh, were about to attempt something that had never been done before, but mankind had dreamed about almost since the same day God said, let there be light. We were dreaming about flying like the birds across the sky, and uh, these guys were going to do it. So uh, December 17th, 1903, cold day, obviously cold, December 17th, right? They took their contraption called the Wright Flyer. I'm sure the pun was intended. They never admitted to that, but um, less than favorable conditions that day, but they knew that if they didn't do it on that day, they might not get back to Ohio for Christmas Day to spend Christmas with their sister Catherine. So they went for it, and what a day they had. Um, four successful flights. The fourth one went 852 feet, lasted 57 seconds. Um, and they thought, they were so confident, now they're going against a headwind, they were so confident in this flight that they thought, well, since we have a tailwind going back to Kitty Hawk, which is four miles away, they thought, we're going to be able to fly the plane back to Kitty Hawk. Let's try it. Just as they're having that conversation, a gust of wind blew up and tumbled the plane end over end and damaged it beyond repair. I'm not sure that plane ever flew again, but it sure was not going to fly anymore that day. But that in no way curbed their excitement. They hightailed it back to um, Kitty Hawk, and they sent a telegram to their sister Catherine, who was known as Aviation's Unsung Heroine. And they all said that she was a key to their success. And I have a picture of that telegram right here. Jennifer's quick on the trigger. So the right telegram says this. Now remember, it's a telegram, so you, get, you literally pay by the letter. So they keep it as short as they can. Success, four flights Thursday morning, all against 21-mile wind. Started from level with engine power alone. Average speed through air, 31 miles. Longest, 57 seconds. Inform press, home for Christmas, Orville Wright. Okay, so Catherine did just that. She informed um, the press that her brothers had achieved something that no one had ever done before. Something, like I said, we've been dreaming about forever. Started from level ground, engine power only, and flew for nearly one minute. Now, if you don't think that's impressive, by the way, I'd like you to go home this afternoon, take your lawnmower, and see how far and how long you can make that thing fly. That's basically what these guys were doing. So Catherine takes that news, she runs to the press, she runs to the editor, the local editor that they knew really well, tells him all of that news that's in the telegram, um, and asks um, you know, that, that story get put in the newspaper as soon as possible. And then she says, oh, by the way, um, the boys will be back for Christmas if you want to set up an interview with them and get more details and, and get the whole story. So the editor says, of course, he'll get that out there, ASAP, and he did. 
On, but now, I gotta, before I show you this next one, I've got to tell you that newspapers worked a little different back in the day. There were headlines on the front page, and there were headlines within the paper itself. So the headline on page six said, now just remember what they did. Four successful flights, the last one went 852 feet, lasted 57 seconds. They made history on this day, right, in, in 1903. And Catherine goes to the editor and says, make sure we get this in the paper. The guy says, got it. I'm going to put it. Look what the headline says here. This is the actual headline. Right, brothers are coming home. They'll be home for Christmas. And more details to follow or something. I don't know, but I mean, obviously the guy got the headline wrong. The guy is missing the point. The title for our message this morning is Missing the Point. And a lot of times that happens to us. And this guy, is, like I said, seriously missed the point. Historical flight, heavier than aircraft. And the editor says, hey, good news. Right, brothers are coming home for Christmas. They'll be able to be with their sister. I think there's many times when, when we miss the point, but I think there's more often times when we're um, telling other people, trying to get a point across, and we're telling them, you're missing the point from what I'm trying to tell you here. But obviously, um, you know, we can do that to ourselves. We can miss the point all too often. So here's what we're going to talk about this morning. Missing the point in your daily life at work or at school, you're on your own. But when it comes to the point of missing God's message, and what I'm going to focus on this morning is, is God's will for us, all right? God's will for us and God's purpose. And hopefully I can help you there to put some dots together and, and get the right point and literally get the right headline. And unlike that newspaper um, editor, we can maybe get the headline. Even if the details are a little bit sketchy, at least we can get the headline um, in order. See, okay, so the thing is, as we were reading through the gospel message this morning, the disciples had been missing the point about Jesus, the point that Jesus had been making to them for several months, several months, almost years at, at one point. Jesus told them exactly what was going to happen uh, that whole Holy Week. He laid it all out. He told them in no uncertain terms, this is how it's going to happen. And yet um, they kept getting the headlines wrong. They kept missing the point. Now I want to show you a couple of places where Jesus is talking directly to the disciples and the disciples are just missing the whole point. They're missing the whole idea. Just like that editor, you know? I mean, she told him the whole news and the whole thing that he got out of it was the boys are coming back for Christmas, right? And so that's the same thing that the disciples did. It's the same thing that we do. We miss the point and we, we get the headlines wrong. Okay, so here's the point that Jesus was making several times. And I'm going to use several different gospel writers because everybody talks about it. Everybody quotes Jesus and, and puts these historical moments down on paper. So Matthew, let's start with Matthew. Um, chapter 16, verse 21. It says, from that time on, and by the way, Matthew uses that phrase three times to mark some pretty significant changes um, in the narrative of his gospel. From that time on, from that moment on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. Look at this now. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Okay, so um, I don't have anything highlighted here, but I, I'm thinking out loud here. That word explain, um, the Greek word is daiknao, um, and it means to, to expose something to the eyes, to show evidence of something, right? It's almost a, a, like a, a legal term, to show evidence of something. But if we look at this really carefully and, and with a critical eye, and we should do that, um, if we're paying close attention, we'll notice that um, this is the narrator talking, if you will. It's not one of the characters, not Jesus, it's not one of the people. It's the narrator giving us information that we need to have in order to carry the story and to, uh, to understand the point. But it's really setting up the words that we need to hear um, directly from Jesus. And like I said, boy, we could use, we, we're going to use all the gospel uh, writers here. We're going to talk about them all here for a moment. 
to it, Luke 9, uh, verse 44. This is Jesus speaking. He says, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Okay, that's a little ambiguous. We're going to get a little more pointed here in a second. But those words, um, listen carefully. Uh, this is the NIV translation. The NASB says, um, let these words sink into your ears, is what Jesus is saying. Let these words sink into your ears. Uh, the NLT that we hand to our, our teens says this. It says, listen and remember. Right? Listen and remember to what I'm about to tell you, Jesus says. And that's where we should be doing. That's what we should be applying to, to every command. You know, the ones we talked about here a few minutes ago, the commands that Jesus tells us. Listen carefully and remember is what he says. So that's Matthew. That's Luke. Let's look at Mark also. Mark gets to the point. Jesus gets to the point here. Mark 9, 31. It says, for he, Jesus, of course, uh, was teaching his disciples and telling them, look at this now, plain and simple. The Son of Man is to be handed over to men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will, raise, will rise three days later. Now remember what I tell you about reading the Bible. And some things are a little ambiguous. Some things are a little bit, we're not quite sure exactly where we're going with this or exactly how to interpret this or exactly how to apply this. But when God wants us to understand something, he says it with clarity and he says it with certainty. It can't be any clearer than that and it can't be any more certain than what he's telling us right here, right? He's no, no bones about it. I'm not hiding this. I'm not veiling this at all. I'm telling you straight up that uh, the Son of Man will be handed over and they will kill him. And after they kill him, he will be raised three days later. Luke goes a little bit deeper into it. Um, uh, this is back in Luke. If we think about back in Luke um, 9, um, that's early on in Jesus' ministry. It's very early on. Um, think about this for a second. Um, uh, it's Luke 19 that we celebrate Lamb Selection Sunday, or what we call Palm Sunday. Right? So this is, that was back in Luke 9 that Jesus started telling them that. Luke 19 is, is Palm Sunday and, and on after that. So then this happens right before, um, in what, there's 24 chapters in Luke. So that kind of sets up the, the, the narrative there. So this next quote I have for you happens before um, Lamb Selection Sunday, before Palm Sunday. And it's really Jesus setting up what's going to happen, telling them in no uncertain terms exactly what's going to happen. So this is Luke 18 starting in verse 31. It says, then Jesus, of course, um, took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all the things which were written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Now think about this for a second. What did Jesus talk about when he was on the road to Emmaus? He talked about everything with the law and the prophets. And he says right here, in, in Luke 18, he says, everything that, that, that's written there is about to be fulfilled. Verse 32, for he will be handed to the Gentiles, be mocked, mistreated, spit upon. Think about all the things that happened and all the things that he said. This is, this is exactly how it's going to go on. This is exactly how it's going to go down. There's no surprises here. This is exactly what you're going to see and this is going to happen. After they scourged him, verse 33, they will kill him and he will rise again. The third day he will rise again. Verse 34 is really what I'm keying on here. But the disciples understood none of these things. The disciples understood none of these things. The meaning of the statement was hidden. That's the word crypto, where we get cryptology from, them. And they did not comprehend the things that were said. Translation, they're not picking up what he's putting down. Right? Luke 9 said, listen and remember to the things that I'm telling you. And they didn't understand it. They didn't understand um, when Jesus was arrested. Didn't understand that. They didn't re uh, understand when Jesus was mocked and spit up. They didn't understand that. They didn't understand when he was flogged. They sure didn't understand when he was, got killed. Right? 
They understood none of these things. Luke 18, 34. They didn't understand what was going on when Jesus rose from the grave, when Jesus rose from the tomb. It didn't make sense to them, and they, and they missed the real headline there. And so this morning, as we, as we turn that gem and, and we look into it to see our reflection, my question for us this morning is, what about you? Right? How much of this makes sense to you, and, and what would your headline read? We'll get back to that in a minute. But let's just get a grip on where we are in the sequence of events here. Um, the gospel lesson that we read this morning has the, the disciples out fishing and meeting Jesus on the beach. Um, we have no less than five times that Jesus appeared to the disciples at Al. Um, no less than five times. Um, there's evidence and there's reason to believe that there are more appearances than that, but those five we have recorded. So this is the sixth time that Jesus appeared to his disciples. So let's just stay with that for a second. Jesus had sent a message to his disciples and said, meet me in Galilee. The story we read this morning took place in Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias, if you will. Jesus sent a message and said, meet me in Galilee. When? Didn't say. Where? Also didn't say. So now the disciples are in Galilee, places they're very familiar with. And at this point, they've lost their patience and they don't know what to do. And maybe you can relate to their feelings and their actions, their, their reaction to this. Because sometimes, maybe all the time, it's hard to keep on track when we're waiting on God. It's hard to stay on track when we're waiting on God, when we're waiting on Jesus. We live in a microwave kind of world, and sometimes we serve a God who cooks in a slow cooker in a crock pot. We just have to be a little patient. That's not easy to do. And as we get impatient, right? So as always, like I said, I'm saying, put yourself, put you in the narrative, put you in this picture, put you in this story and see how you would have reacted. This one might be a little easier to, to relate to and a little easier for us to digest. But, or, and maybe you can relate to the Old Testament um, lesson that, that um, Lyle read a moment ago about Saul being impatient. Um, that's in 1 Samuel um, 13, I think it is. Saul and the Hebrew army are waiting to go to war against the dreaded Philistine army, right? We hear that all the time. And they're waiting for the prophet Samuel to come. And, and he's going to get there and he's going to offer a sacrifice before the Hebrew army goes and attacks the Philistines. Uh, the problem is that Samuel isn't there. And Saul's men are starting to panic, and they're starting to basically um, desert the battlefield. So Saul takes matters into his own hands. Right? He's supposed to wait seven days, but he's taking the matter into his own hands, and that's a big mistake. Um, in offering that sacrifice, the first thing that Saul really does is he flat out disobeys God's command to wait for Samuel. And um, second, even though Saul is king... He has no authority to offer this burnt sacrifice. So he's supposed to wait for seven days, and he kind of did, but just barely. It was technically the seventh day, but, you know, if we say we're going to do something on Sunday, for example, and it doesn't happen by 7.30 in the morning, um, we go on anyway, or do we wait for what God told us? So Saul was really missing the point here. He thought it was more about the sacrifice, but really what it was about is trusting and obeying God. He thought it was about that action of the sacrifice, but it was really about trusting and obeying God. Which brings us back to our disciples, who are on this boat right now, supposed to wait in Galilee for Jesus, but get impatient 
and head back to their former lives. They head back to their former lives. They're not just fishing here, right? They're not just killing time. They're not just biding their time here. And the evidence of that is Jesus said this was going to happen. In John 16, the first part of 30, verse 32, it says, Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered and each to his own home. Um, if we had that accurately from the NASB, um, that word home would be in italics, which means that it's a word that's been added to help us understand the meaning. And that usually um, helps us understand the meaning, but sometimes it gets in the way. This time it gets in the way a little bit. It really goes back to its own, right? It's, it's um, back to our own way of life, back to our old way of life. And the disciples had missed the point and messed up, again, the headline all in one fell swoop. And Peter, you know, standing there, they're standing there in the house, and Peter's like, well, I guess it's over. You know, we've been, we've been waiting. Saul waited. Well, we've been waiting. Maybe we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe he's just not showing up. I don't know. But party's over. Let's, you know, clean it up here and let go on. Again, missing the point. Missing the point. Whether it's missing the point of a telegraph, talking about a, a moment in, a significant moment in aviation history, Right, brother's home for Christmas, how nice. Or King Saul missing the point about that sacrifice and what it was really about is waiting for God, not just getting rid of an animal on the battlefield. These seven disciples were missing the point. These seven disciples were missing the point. When Jesus said the Son of Man must suffer, be killed, and raised on the third day, that's not the headline that the disciples wanted. That's not the headline that the disciples heard. And just like that guy heard all about aviation history and said, oh, cool, Christmas, boys will be home. The, the disciples heard all about what was going to happen. Flogged, mocked, spit upon, killed, rise on the third day. That's not the headline they wanted. And Jared is a genius. He made a headline for me here. Extra, extra, read all about it. Here's a Roman reader from April 3rd in the year 33. This is the, this is the headline the, the disciples wanted. Messiah to clear out Roman oppression. That's what they wanted to hear. That's what they wanted that whole headline to read. Extra, extra, right? And I asked, I asked you earlier, you know, what about you? What would your headline be like? I said about the disciples, they understood none of these things from Luke 18, verse 34. They understood none of these things that Jesus was telling them straightforward. So I'm not going to veil this anymore. I'm going to tell you exactly the sequence of events that you're going to see happen. They understood none of these things. They didn't understand what was going on when Jesus rose from the grave. It didn't make any sense, and they missed the real headline. They missed the point. So again, my question goes back to how about you? If someone asked you, write a headline maybe, about what it means to be a follower of Christ, let's say you, what would you say? What headline would you print? Would your headline go something like 852 feet, 57 seconds? Or would it be boys coming home for Christmas? Would your headline have something to do um, with a promise that since you're a follower of Christ, you know, we want to just pull things off the top of our head. What's the will of God? Well, the will of God is for my world to be made out of nerf and nothing bad to ever happen to me. That's what the disciples thought was going to happen. They understood none of these things. How many of these things do we understand? How much do we understand about the will of God? How much do we understand about the will of God? Now, um, I'm not talking about how many verses can you quote. I'm not talking about um, how many stories can you recall. Um, I'm talking about the will of God. 
What's the will of God? We talk about this on Tuesday morning a lot, and we talk about it a lot because it takes a minute to get the wheels turning in the right direction. So think about it for a second. The will of God, follower of Christ, what would your headline read? What, what would it read? How would it read? What words would you use? How you, have you ever thought about how important it is, um, like Jesus said, to hear, to know, to understand, to remember what God's will is? It's one of the most important things that we do. Ephesians 5.17 kind of sums up the, the how or the why statement. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. A couple of, of key words here. Um, that word foolish means uh, to be willfully ignorant, to literally ignore it, to really um, not want to pick up what he's putting down, not understand it. Don't be foolish. Don't be, don't be uh, willfully ignorant about it. But it says um, understand. The word understand means to bring it all together. Right? Not just cherry pick what we want to see here and there. No, we've got to bring it all together to know what the will of the Lord is. So in other words, it would be wise, looking at the other way, other way to understand what the will of God is, not just to hear it. So in order to understand it, we first need to hear it. And just like the disciples, we get to hear it from Jesus himself. It's a huge section. If you're taking notes today, good for you, because John 6, verses 38 through 40, really come down to what the will of God is. Let's look at it one verse at a time. For I have, this is Jesus talking, of course, I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Okay, so first of all, God's will, not my will. We say that in the Lord's Prayer, right? Verse 39, and this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. And like Jesus does, like a good rabbi, he repeats himself. And he says it a different way. Verse 40, For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. This didn't say anything about the world being made out of nerf and that we're not going to run into any trouble, we're not going to run into any problems, we're not going to have any bad days, and it's all good and cotton candy and unicorn. No, it says, you know what? What we're really talking about here is eternal life. So what's God's will for us? What's our headline? What's the point of this whole thing? God's will for us is eternal life with him, through his son. Unfortunately, as the disciples found out, the will of God has nothing to do with an easy life, like no weeds in the garden, no mosquitoes, checkbook that's always balanced. Anybody use a checkbook anymore? Checkbook that's always balanced. Getting back to the narrative, though, when the, what the disciples found out when Jesus met them on the beach is that they were missing the point all along. Face to face, they were missing the point all along. And that the will of God has little to do with this life, this time, and everything to do with eternal life, with him. And the disciples saw Jesus for who he really was. They saw him for who he truly is, and they wanted nothing to do, when they saw that, they wanted nothing to do with their former way of life, which they were clinging to and going back to, and said, now forget all of that, because now we understand, now we get it. They left their nets. They left the things of the world behind them. 
So that's my question for you. What are you going to leave behind right? so that we can follow Christ, we can follow God without any, anything being cumbered down, anything being weighted down with us? We've got to cut some ties with some other things so we have time for who he is and what he wants us to do and how he wants us to work in his kingdom. The disciples were running back to their old life, but when they saw Christ, they said, this isn't where we want to be, this isn't what we want to do. There's a lot more we could talk about that whole lesson, that whole idea of what Jesus was showing them, but really what he was showing them is a better life and a better way, and it doesn't have anything to do with this world. It has everything to do with eternal life. So when we talk about what is God's will for you, what does he want from you, what is our purpose from God, it's to have eternal life through his son and to serve him here on this earth in any way we can, in any time we can. The former way of living, those nets, those things have to be left behind. So we can follow after him, we can follow after his ways. So let's get to the point. Amen. Please stand.